right. I want to greet everyone and thank you for joining us today through our online campus. It's always good to spend time with you studying God's Word. This is the first weekend of a very special series that I'm calling Foolproof. The tagline for the series is How to Handle Money in Uncertain Times. I thought that would be appropriate given the reality of what we've been living through for the past eight months. Because of the COVID-19 virus, we're living in unprecedented and uncertain times, and there's no question that the financial lives of more people than I can probably even imagine, and perhaps even some of you who are listening today, have been impacted in very negative ways. And so as we come to this time of year when, as a church, we always talk about money, about how God wants us to handle the monies He has entrusted to us, I thought it would be good to be as practical as possible. But before we do that. I want to just pause and take a minute to try to give you a word of encouragement related to everything that's happening in our country today. I doubt there's anyone listening to me today who doesn't want 2020 to be in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible. I know I certainly do. This has been a year filled with disruption and fear, and honestly, it's been filled with a lot of division as well, sometimes even division among believers. The combination of the COVID-19 virus and the most divisive election season that I have seen or witnessed in my lifetime has been overwhelming, and it seems to never end. Even as I'm recording this message for our online campus, uh, we continue to wait for the results of yesterday's election, not certain of what tomorrow will bring. So what I want to do is just take a minute to tell you What I try to remember and what I try to do when life is uncertain and I feel uncertain, I try to focus on the presence of God, and I try to focus on doing the things that I've always known to do. That means I I think about and I trust in God's unfailing love and the truth that He is always with me, that He's always watching over me, that He's always leading me and guiding me in my life. And I continue to do the things that I know God wants me to do. I continue to love and serve my family. I get up and I go to work every day, and I continue to do the things that I think God has called me to do, and I could go on and on and on. I want to encourage you to do the same. Let me just read you some words from Psalm 13. This is a psalm written by David. It may seem a little strange at first, but I want you to bear with me. He begins the psalm like this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, and I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. If you look closely at this psalm, then what you see is David, after detailing what can only be described as a desperate situation, his desperate situation, he does that in the first four verses. He goes on to shift gears and write these words in verse 5 but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. 
It's like he's saying, but in spite of all of that, in spite of all of the difficulty and the sorrow and the frustration and the fear, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. He's saying, no matter how I feel, I won't let despair get the best of me because I'll trust that you are with me. I'll trust that you are watching over me. I'll trust that you are taking care of me and leading me even when it doesn't feel that way. I hope you know, friends, that it's a mistake to let your life, any part of your life, be ruled by your feelings. That's especially true when it comes to our faith. I don't know what tomorrow will bring with regard to the coronavirus. I don't know what tomorrow will bring with regard to the presidential election. I don't know what tomorrow will bring with regard to anything. But I know that God holds tomorrow in his hand. And I know that he loves me with an everlasting love, and that's never going to change. And I want to encourage you this morning, or today rather, I want to encourage you to make it your goal to hold on to those same truths. Not just hold on to them, though, but hold on to them and live them out in your life because that's what's going to sustain you and keep you as we go through these uncertain times. Let me just say a word of prayer for all of us. Father in heaven, I thank you for the reminder of Scripture that you are always with us and that we can always trust you, even in the most desperate times, even in the most uncertain times, even in times of fear and anxiety and on and on and on. And I pray for everyone who's listening to me today, and I pray this for myself, that you will help us to focus on you, what's unchanging about you, and you'll give us the courage and the strength to do the things that we know we are to do even when there's so much unknown surrounding our lives. And so far, I pray that you would encourage us with those things and keep us. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's talk about how to live a foolproof financial life in uncertain times. If you've been part of our church family for any length of time, you know that I've said on multiple occasions that I believe the Bible is the single best book ever written when it comes to managing money. That's especially true of the book of Proverbs, which is filled with simple and practical instructions about managing money. And one of the things I love the most about the book of Proverbs, whether it's talking about handling money or any number of other practical realities of life, is it shows us the clear difference between someone who is wise and someone who is a fool, someone who is foolish. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, Look at these words on the screen from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is just a portion of verses 5 through 7. The proverb writer says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And so you see a clear distinction between a wise man who wants to learn, who wants to listen and learn, and a foolish man who has no interest in learning. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Again, the clear distinction between a wise man and a foolish man. A a wise man wants to learn. He'll listen to advice, but a foolish man only listens to himself. How about Proverbs 13, 20? He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Again, you can see the clear distinction there between a wise man 
and a foolish man. I could give you more, but I'm going to stop there. I love this distinction that's found all throughout the book of Proverbs. And I love the fact that it's so clear. All of us either fall into the category of being wise or foolish based on the way we choose to live our lives. Uh, This is part of the wisdom of Proverbs. That shouldn't surprise us because Proverbs is a part of what's called the wisdom literature of the Bible. And it's designed to equip the reader with what he or she needs to evaluate and respond to the different circumstances of life in a way that pleases God. And so what I'm going to do as we begin this series is I'm going to use the book of Proverbs as a foundation for our first message, which is simply called, How to Be a Financial Fool. And because we're not going to use one specific passage of Scripture, but a lot of different Scriptures, then as we begin, I just want us to focus on this one verse as a foundation for everything that we're going to talk about. It's Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 8. We'll put it up on the screen, and I would encourage you, wherever you are, just to read these words with me. Proverbs 14, 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. One of the consistent truths found in God's Word is His ability to use even the worst circumstances to strengthen our lives and accomplish His purpose. That's really the central message from the life of my favorite Old Testament character, a man named Joseph. You read his story in Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50. Now, I'm not going to tell his story in detail because I'm sure most of you who are listening already know it by heart, but Joseph is sold into slavery as a young man by his jealous brothers. And then, after dealing with some significant trials, by the providence of God, he rises to become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And in that position, with his God-given ability to interpret dreams, Joseph tells Pharaoh, this happens in Genesis chapter 41, that the next seven years will be plentiful for Egypt, but the following years will be years of famine. And so Pharaoh appoints Joseph to oversee the preparations for this coming disaster. And in the end, through Joseph's efforts to steward or to manage the resources of Egypt, many lives are saved, including the lives of his own brothers who had earlier betrayed him. It's really one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. Now, I'm not suggesting that the COVID-19 virus will be similar to a seven-year famine, rather. I hope not. I certainly hope not. But there's no question it's something that has put many people into some very difficult situations, including financial hardship. And it would be incredibly foolish to go through this kind of hardship without learning some important lessons about handling money. So that's what I want to talk about. Actually, I've got three lessons that everyone needs to learn, or maybe I should say everyone needs to be reminded of, that come from what we've experienced over the past eight months. And what I want to say from the beginning is this, only a fool would ignore these lessons. But before I talk about them, let me make something really clear. We do this financial series every year. We do it in November, the same time of the year. And we do it because we talk about generosity. We talk about giving here in the church. We have a large church that provides a lot of ministry, both locally here in our community and the city of Uh, Indianapolis, and ultimately through global mission partners around the world. And it takes a lot of money to do the ministry that we do. I'm never going to apologize for that because of the impact that we're able to make in the world. 
But I can tell you with integrity today that along with talking about generosity and giving, I desperately want all of you to experience financial peace in your lives. And while I believe in my heart that generosity is a part of that, generosity is just one part of experiencing financial peace. God doesn't want anyone to live in bondage. It's not his will for any of us to live in bondage. And yet so many people live in financial bondage today. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way if we will just simply believe in and embrace and practice the truth of God's word when it comes to handling money. So while I'm going to be talking about giving and generosity in each message over the next four weeks, including this week, uh, this is about much more than giving. This is about every one of us experiencing financial peace in our lives and in our families by handling the money that God has entrusted us, whether it's a little or a lot, in a way that honors Him. So here's the first truth that we need to embrace that can keep us from becoming a financial fool. If you'd like to take notes, write this down somewhere. Make a commitment to lifelong change. Make a commitment to lifelong change. Only a fool would face some kind of serious challenge, like, for example, the financial challenge brought on by the coronavirus, and not come out of the challenge determined to learn from the experience so that they will be better prepared for the next challenge when it comes. And friends, it will come. I can't tell you when the next challenge will come. I can't take you, or I can't tell you what the next challenge will look like, but I can tell you that another challenge will come because life is filled with challenges. That's why James, when he wrote his New Testament epistle, begins like this. This is James chapter 1 and verse 2. He writes and says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, challenges of many kinds. You notice he didn't say if you face trials of many kinds, but when, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You don't need a lot of life experience to know that life is filled with challenges, that life is filled with trials. But here's the deal. Each challenge, each trial has the ability to make us stronger if we learn from them. I think I've probably told you this before, but my favorite verse from the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 13, 16, that says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. Every prudent man, every wise man, every thoughtful thinking man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. We act out of knowledge when we learn from the trials and the challenges of life. Just in case that way that Proverbs 13, 16 is written in my NIV Bible doesn't really click with you, let me tell you how it reads in the Good News Translation. In the Good News Translation, it reads like this, sensible people always think before they act, but stupid people advertise their ignorance. If you struggle in your life when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, you can do one of two things. You can make excuses or you can make the commitment to do whatever you have to do to change. Last year when we came to this time of year and I preached my annual financial series, last year we called it God, Money, and Me, I wrote a blog to go along with the financial series and the blog was simply called My Best Money Advice. Now, I don't know if anyone even took the time to read it, but in that blog, I basically talked about the truth that when I was a young man, I made the commitment to become a lifelong learner 
when it came to managing money. And in the blog, I even listed the books and the authors that I read and I followed to learn about managing money. Many of them I still read and follow today. Now, I will tell you, because I want to be really clear and I don't want to misrepresent myself in any way, I will tell you that there are aspects of money and finances that I don't know a lot about. Honestly, I have a hard time reading and understanding financial statements sometimes. Ask anybody who's ever served as an elder in our church. I don't always understand the way those are put together and the way those flow. Uh, Because I have a fundamental rule that I don't ever invest money in something that I don't understand, my investment choices and options are probably a lot more limited than most of you who are smarter than me about those things. But I can tell you today with integrity that I have financial peace in my life today because I made a commitment a long time ago to learn how to handle money in a way that honored God. Were there times when it was difficult? Absolutely. There were times when I made financial decisions that were difficult and that felt at times like a hardship, but I have absolutely no regrets about any of those decisions. One of the fastest ways to become a financial fool, and I apologize if that sounds too harsh, is to face financial trials and financial hardships, especially ones that you have created for yourself and not learn from them. Look at this verse from Proverbs 26, 11. The proverb writer says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Now, that's not my favorite verse from the book of Proverbs. In fact, I don't even like that verse. It's a little bit too descriptive for me. But there's no mistaking its meaning. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Only a fool makes the same mistake or the same mistakes over and over and over again. And if you struggle with money, then make the commitment to change that, to turn that around, and you can do that by simply focusing on what God teaches us about handling money. Make a decision to take a step toward God when it comes to everything related to the way you handle whatever amount of money he's entrusted to you. I've told you before, but I haven't said it in a long time, that one of my favorite quotes uh, comes from a preacher that used to serve a church in the Chicago area, and he used to tell his church, if you take a step toward God, then he will take a step toward you. And I believe that to be true, and I believe that to be true about every part of our spiritual lives, and that includes our finances. If you decide that you're going to take a step toward God with regard to getting a handle on how you manage whatever amount of money that he's entrusted to you, then I guarantee you, I can't tell you what it will look like, but I guarantee you that God will take some kind of a step toward you. He'll honor that decision by taking a step toward you. You just need to make the commitment to lifelong change, to lifelong learning and lifelong change when it comes to handling whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you. Here's the second thing that I've got written down. Uh, The second way to avoid becoming a financial fool Manage money with a plan. That's number two. Manage money with a plan. Without question, one of the most foolish things that you can do is manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you with no plan. Look at these words on the screen from Proverbs 21 and verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 
And the key word in that verse is the word plans. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. It's foolish to have no plan for managing whatever amount of money you have, whether it's a little or a lot. But the majority of people that I've talked to over the years about financial management not only don't have a plan, they have no real idea about their own financial condition, about their overall financial condition. Now, I really don't want to sound too harsh about this because I know money is an emotional subject for a lot of people, but we need to understand that how we handle or mishandle money is a big deal to God because the Bible tells us that everything belongs to God. We're not the owners of anything. Everything belongs to God, including whatever amount of money you have. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything belongs to God. So let me just try uh, to help you out by giving you a simple basic plan of how to manage the money that God has entrusted to you. And uh, we'll just start at number one in no particular order. Write this down somewhere. Spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. No one I don't care who you are, no one will ever experience financial peace in their life until they make the commitment to spend less than they earn. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, in the house of the wise are are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Again, the book of Proverbs shows us the distinction between a wise man and a foolish man. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In the Good News translation, It reads like this, wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. No margin, no saving. Whatever comes in is what goes out. No spending less than you earn. I know this can be a difficult thing for some people, but I'm going to say it again. No one will ever experience financial peace in their life until they make a plan to spend less than they earn. It really doesn't matter if you have a little or a lot. You know, when my family moved here to Indiana in October of 2001, we experienced sticker shock at the price of the houses here in this community. I need to give you a little bit of a background or some context for that. The last time I had bought a house was in 1992 in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which is a suburb on the south side of Tulsa, Oklahoma, a suburb to Tulsa, much like Greenwood is a suburb to the city of Indianapolis. And I bought that house in 1992 for $72,000. Now, it was a modest home, but it was a nice home. It was a nice ranch-style home with a nice big open floor plan, a big backyard, and a lot of things about that house we really liked. But when we came here, every house that we looked at was more than $200,000. That might not seem like a lot of money to many of you, but 19 years ago, in my context, that seemed like a lot of money to me. We finally found the house, we bought a house, and I gotta tell you, there were things about it that I didn't like. There were things about it that I really didn't like. There were things about it I didn't, that I never liked as long as we lived there. But it was a nice house in a nice neighborhood. It was close to the church, had plenty of room for our family, and, and it became our home. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening knows that there's a difference between a house and a home. It became our home. And we had a lot of happiness and a lot of good times while we lived there. When we were moving into that house, someone who worked here at the church who was helping 
us move in, pulled me aside at one point and said something like this to me. They said, Chris, why would you ever buy a house like this? And the, the, the unspoken meaning was, why would you, as the pastor of this big church, buy a house like this? And that would not be the f- only time somebody made a comment to me like that related to that house. But let me tell you what was going on behind the scenes. Sandy and I had made a commitment to live at a certain level when it came to our lifestyle. And it didn't matter how much our income rose, our lifestyle commitment was going to remain the same. And it was that commitment to a certain level of lifestyle that caused us to buy that house because it fit into that commitment. And that commitment was based on a decision to always spend less than we earned. I always had a percentage of my monthly income that I would spend on housing, and I've never, ever gone above that. That's based on a commitment to spend less than I earned. We lived in that house for 17 years. Every month that we lived there, I paid extra on the mortgage principal, and we sold it a couple of years ago with a lot of equity so that we could buy another house that suited our lives now as empty nesters. But our lifestyle commitment remained the same. You don't experience financial peace in your life unless you make the commitment to spend less than you earn. And I was so committed to this. Let me give you just a silly, simple example of how committed I was to this basic truth. A long time ago, before I moved to Indiana, I was reading a Dave Ramsey book. I was reading Dave Ramsey books before Dave Ramsey became Dave Ramsey. And he was talking about increasing your income. And he said there are two basic ways to do that. Either you get a second job or you eliminate some expense from your monthly income. Well, I couldn't get a second job because I was a pastor and pastors don't have free time or enough free time to do a second job of any kind. And so I started to look at the monthly budget and everything that we were spending and I tried to determine what it was that I could cut from the budget. There wasn't a whole lot to choose from, but I finally settled on dry cleaning. I looked and I saw that I was spending a lot of money every month on dry cleaning because I was taking all my shirts and all my pants to the dry cleaners. And if I eliminated doing that, uh, then I could save money. And so that's what I did. With very few exceptions, we stopped taking anything to the local dry cleaner. But there was a consequence to that. The consequence of that was that I needed to begin to iron all of my clothes, all of my shirts, because I'm kind of picky about these things. All of my shirts and all the pants that required ironing, I needed to be the one to do that. I made the decision to eliminate that expense, so I was the one who needed to do it. And what I discovered along the way, friends, is I really like to iron. And not only that, I'm really good at it. I think the reason why I like to iron, I think the number one reason why I like to iron is because no one has ever criticized my ironing. And I can say that about very few things in my life. And that saved money from our monthly expenditures, which helped us to continue to live in a way where we spent less than what we earned. When you spend less than what you earn, you create financial margin in your life. And it's that margin, ultimately, that enables you to experience financial peace. Remember these words from Proverbs 21:20, "In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A foolish man 
spends all he gets. A foolish man has no margin. Here's the second part of the plan. Create an emergency fund. One of the things that amazes me most about managing money is the fact that so many people live today like nothing bad is ever going to happen to them in their lives. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not a doom and a gloom guy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that cars break down and houses require maintenance and people get sick and jobs are lost and accidents happen and on and on and on. But so many people live like that's not the case. So many people live like they're bulletproof. Like nothing bad is ever going to happen. And as a result, they never have any emergency savings when they have emergency needs. So when something like a pandemic comes along and causes people to be furloughed from their job or causes people to be working less hours for less money or worse, causes people to lose their job altogether, they have nothing to fall back on. Look at these words from Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow for you... For you do not know what a day may bring forth. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. None of us knows what tomorrow holds. One of the most fundamental realities of life is that life is filled with uncertainty, and so we need to be prepared. How about Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 12? I like this one. The prudent, another word for wise, thoughtful, thinking, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple, another word for fool or foolish, keep going and suffer for it. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. It's foolish, friends, to not be prepared for the unexpected. And I wonder just how many people discovered the importance of an emergency fund when the coronavirus showed up some eight months ago. Here's the third part of the plan. Avoid debt. Avoid debt. And I know this is a particularly emotional issue for many people, so I'm going to try to be sensitive to that. I'm going to tell you that the Bible does not expressly prohibit debt, but I'm also going to say that the Bible does not have one good thing, not one positive thing to say about debt. Look at these words from Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, that's a powerful verse because it reveals a fundamental problem with debt. Whenever you go into debt, you lose a little bit of your freedom. Whether the lender is a credit card company or a bank or a car dealership or a furniture store or a family member you've borrowed money from, when you borrow from them, they own a piece of you. That's why Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. And there is no greater enemy to financial peace than debt. And when debt keeps you from being able to live the life that God calls you to live, and now I'm talking about a generous life, or when debt keeps you from being able to respond to some calling of God on your life, on your heart, then that's a problem. Debt is one of the most deceptive things in our world. That's what a lot of people don't recognize. Debt is one of the most deceptive things in our world. Let me give you some reasons why I say that. First of all, many people go into debt because they believe it will give them the ability to enjoy life on a greater level, but what it ends up doing so much of the time is it limits your ability to enjoy life because of the constant stress and the constant pressure it puts on your life. 
A second reason is this. It's easy to believe that debt gives you more money. That's the way it feels when you swipe a credit card or when you sign a loan document. But that's just an illusion. Debt isn't giving you more money. It's costing you more money. And some people don't realize that until it's too late. A third reason would be that debt makes you feel like you're getting ahead in life. It, it makes you feel ahead because it allows you to get a newer car or a newer or nicer house and on and on. But in the end, what debt's going to do is it's going to keep you from actually being able to achieve your financial goals. It, it's hard to save money when a large portion of that money, of the money that God has entrusted to you, is already spoken for because of debt. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I'll stop right there. Debt is one of the most deceptive things in life. And one of the quickest ways, friends, one of the quickest ways to become a financial fool is by going into debt, especially deep debt. Let me give you a fourth part of the plan. Plan for the future. And I'm getting short on time now, so I'll have to be quick about this. Let's go back to a verse of Proverbs that we've already looked at. We've already talked about Proverbs 21.5 that says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. There will be a time for all of us. Unless the Lord returns first, there will be a time for all of us when we're not able to work. There will be a time for all of us when we don't want to work any longer. And when that, when that time comes, we need to be prepared financially. And without question, the best verse in the book of Proverbs to guide us in being prepared financially is Proverbs thirteen eleven that says, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little, makes it grow. And the Bible makes it clear that saving money for the future is an important part of managing the money that God has entrusted you. And the Bible makes it clear that saving money for the future can happen even if you just save it a little at a time. I've met so many people whose reason for not saving money is they think that what they have is not enough to make a difference when nothing could be further from the truth, especially when you save it wisely and you take advantage of the miracle of compounding interest. Now, we need to remember that saving money and hoarding money are two different things, and the Bible tells us never to hoard money. We're going to talk more about that next week. And we need to remember that, that everything that we have belongs to God, even the money that we've set aside for the future. So whatever we have, we need to hold on to loosely. But saving money will always be a part of being a good steward because it will always be a part of planning for the future. Well, there's one final part, a fifth part of managing money with a plan, but it's also the third truth that I want to share with you that can help you avoid becoming a financial fool. And so write this down next to number three. Be generous. Be generous. We're going to talk about this more as we get further into the series, so I'm going to be brief here. Let me just leave you with these words. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25 say, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, and comes to poverty, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, I'm going to be really blunt here as we come to the close of this message, and I'm going to say that only a fool, only a fool would look at what the Bible teaches us about giving and about generosity and then choose not to be generous. Listen to those words again. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. 
He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Generosity will always be the choice of a wise man because generosity opens the door for God's generosity in our lives. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. Let me just close with this thought. When it comes to making sure that we don't live our lives as financial fools, every single one of us would be much better off in our lives if we thought of ourselves as stewards or managers of a trust. And that trust is everything that God has given us, our time, our talents and gifts and abilities, our influence, our wealth, All of those things are entrusted to us by God with the expectation that we're going to use them in a way that honors him. And so the question for each of us isn't, how much have I been given? The question is, am I managing what I've been given in a way that pleases God, in a way that honors God? And every single day, as stewards or managers, we need to remember these words that Jesus spoke As a part of a parable in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, he said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. I believe those words as strongly as I believe any truth from the Bible. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Listen to me close. God is not going to ignore our foolishness in managing what he has entrusted to us. And he's not going to ignore our wisdom in managing what he has entrusted to us. And there are promises in the scriptures related to both. So let's choose wisdom. Let's make sure that we don't live our lives as financial fools. Let's choose wisdom. Proverbs seventeen sixteen says, What use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? Let's make sure that we take the first step toward financial peace, and that first step is choosing wisdom, the wisdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for a chance to share from your word today, and I pray that you would take the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts right at the point of our need. I know that Everyone listening probably is at different places in their lives when it comes to the management and the stewarding of whatever amount of money you have entrusted to them. But I pray that all of us, whether we have a little or a lot, would make wisdom our first choice, the wisdom of your word our first choice when it comes to handling what you've entrusted to us so that we will honor you and we will put ourselves in a position to be blessed by you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your trust. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.